So, settling in and uh, you know, finding a way. So, first, we just like to kind of apologize for my throat, which is a little bit uh, clogged and raspy. So, sometimes the words don't come out as clearly as they're happening in my mind. <laughs> the, uh, the, the speakers are a bit jammed at the moment. <coughs> This morning I'd like to uh, introduce a bit of theory, a little more theory, rather than imagination or exhortation or physical stuff. And I think it's quite uh, crucial to, to get the theory, some of the understanding of the things I'm going to be referring to um, throughout the retreat. See, uh, um, so this morning particularly I'd like to talk about Sankara. This is quite uh, crucial to the way I teach. Uh, so this word Sankara appears many times, but because we most of us don't read Pali, you don't see how many times it occurs in the, in the Buddha's teachings. <coughs> and it's variously translated as formations, uh, volitional formations, sometimes <coughs> activities but mostly it's translated as formations and when it's translated as that you'll see it described often as bodily formation mental formation verbal formation and you might very well sort of keep going to the end of the line on that one what's that uh, what does that mean it's a fairly colorless word formations sankara the root of the word kara is to do or to make sun to bring together, to make something, to form something. And the understanding of this is both an activity, that which does the forming, and the result, that which is formed. Yeah? So it's that which, the word formation gives more the, the, the understanding of that which is formed. Activities, which is another way of translating it, gives you the idea of that which does the forming, that which is formed and forming. <coughs> um, <coughs> so, although I dislike introducing too many new translation words because it confuses everyone, that's what we're referring to, um, I'd like to at least float the word program uh, uh, to, into your uh, way of conceiving things. Programs, particularly when you're dealing with uh, computer programs are the things which which create but also establish programs. So you download some kind of piece of software, it's a program that establishes a program. So it's both active and resultant. So program, and it gives you a sense of something that has a particular intelligence. It does a particular job or function. It works within its parameters of being a program. Yeah. And the three bases, the bodily sankara, the bodily program, its job is basically to work around uh, establishing and clarifying and supporting the bodily energy, the bodily dynamic, the bodily experience. Mm. So you know, it's that which 
from moment to moment generates our experience of body. So <clears throat> as a meditator, someone who consciously um, directs themselves to the here and now experience of the body, you realize the body didn't begin so many years ago, switched on and it just keeps going. You realize the body is actually a changing wave that's happening all the time as you directly experience it. Yeah? Sometimes you feel very small and crushed, sometimes you feel very large, expansive, Sometimes you feel kind of very spacey and thin. Sometimes you feel really grounded and solid yeah, in the bodily sense. Your intimate experienced body is not the thing that you see, is it? You look around and see all these wonderful people sitting completely still and serene. And you know, whatever else is happening, they are not still and serene. <laughs> At least you get a sense of, well, I'm not still and serene. How come everyone else is? <laughs> Because actually, you know, the, the visual perception of the body we take as the reality, as the actual map of the truth. That it's just one map, one pattern established through the eyes. Of course, it's not alive, but it's great when you go to an outfitter's. <coughs> you don't say how big you feel today, you say you're five foot eight or whatever it is, or size 12 or whatever these things are. <coughs> I'm feeling kind of expansive and spacious today, so give me a... <laughs> but it might change in a few moments. <laughs> sankara. So when we come down to the, the, these deal with the... Sankara deal with the real dynamics of experience. So I, I taught a session a few years back just called the dynamics of experience. So it's this experience very much as it's happening. And the bodily sense of it is this con constant tide of formations that you experience within your body. Yeah. And we're learning, you know, hopefully as we meditate, to come back to that as the more pertinent and useful map for liberation than the visual thing. And that takes some doing because the visual one is so strongly established and, uh, and all that goes with that. One's appearance, one's age, one's gender and so on. <coughs> so Kaya Sankara, the bodily formation. The bodily formation, the bodily program, you know, is essentially contained, the seed of it, the core of it, is breathing in and breathing out. Now we may indeed feel slightly confused as to how breathing in and breathing out is generating a body in the here and now. Until you begin to really understand breathing in and breathing out is not what you learn in school, it's not something that happens between your nose and lungs, it's uh, in the direct contemplative sense, it's the energy that keeps breathing out, breathing and out happening. It's behind it. It's the underriding drive that gets that going and keeps it going even when you're asleep. As you notice when you get to the end of an out-breath, pausing, and something pauses, hovers, then just turns, kicks in, and draws breath in. There's an intelligent program there, tell, knowing now's the time to breathe in. Now's the time to breathe out. This is how it happens. And it, 
It does so because the signal of that energy of that energy carries goes through the whole body and the body knows which muscles to operate, how to flex. You don't have to figure it out, how to breathe in and out. Thank goodness. <coughs> so it's a intelligent program that knows how to breathe in and breathe out, how that works. So that's its activation. Its formation is that as you breathe in and breathe out, as you really tune into that, you can sense the energy of that flowing through the entirety of what you experience as your body. Now, it's not always bright, and the strongest pieces may be associated with your chest or abdomen or throat, but clearly, if the effect of breathing in and breathing out didn't go to all your body, bits of it would start to fall off because that's carrying oxygen and so forth. So these subtler strands of energy are, begin to be able to experience them more clearly as our mind becomes more attuned. But whether you really experience them fully or not, just bear in mind that this is what's being referred to, something that it may be blocked, it may be shut off here and there, but its potential is to fill and flood the entire body. And this is what happens when the mind releases its entanglements enough to experience jhana, samadhi. It starts to, you really feel the body as something like a, a form, like a light form, you know, with, with certain radiances and suffusions, much less this heavy material thing. Kaya Sankara, bodily formation, bodily program. And it knows, uh, it has an intelligence to discern how much is needed to breathe in and breathe out. When a long breath is needed, when a short breath is needed, how much breathing is needed. It, it can do that. Mm. How much breathing is needed when we are fighting, how much breathing is needed when we're sleeping? How much breathing is needed when we're running? How much breathing is needed when we're sitting? It, it knows how to adjust that. <coughs> yeah. In its natural state. So it has an intelligent program, but the but is that the program does get tampered with. And we're talk about that. Uh, Kaya Sankara, uh, another one, one is uh, Vajji Sankara, the verbal formation, the ability to form concepts, words, the ability to, to label something, to come up with a, a word. Amazing facility. We experience, when you open your eyes, what do you experience? whole flood of lights and colors and forms. Somehow you can scan all that and you can come up with a word that names it. It may not be the right word, but it's a word. <laughs> you know, it could be prison, you know, it could be temple of light. But something does this thing where you get a thought arises. And it's an incredible facility because we can say, Aunt Jane, and then she pops into my head, if you've got an Aunt Jane. 
Yeah? And there it is. And you can, you can handle that. It's like having a little app. It switches, you push the button, pop. This program rises up and you get all the perceptions of Aunt Jane and when her birthday is and what she likes to eat. It would be nice to send her a card or something. Boom, you know. Out of, here we are sitting here. And suddenly this person arrives through a concept. We think about tomorrow, yesterday. Uh, we can think about um, the Dharma. We can use it to guide ourselves. We could say, we can ask questions to ourselves. Is this correct? Is this right? How does it feel? We can label. The articulation faculty, it's called the verbal formation. And it's really our uh, most specific guide because it deals with specific object formation. Form an object, translate that into a concept. And then you can store that concept. So three days later, you can bring that concept back, pop, the object appears again. Amazing faculty. If it wasn't all messed up. Because, <laughs> 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 of course, it does. <laughs> it doesn't always get it right as to what's out there. Hmm? But it has no, it does that, you know, and uh, comes up with all kinds of uh, concepts um, that don't, that really uh, are not object derived, but really subjectively biased, as we all know. And where is this? Where is this? This is, uh, where does all this distortion occur? Distorting effects. Well, we come to citta-sankhara, the heart formation, or mental formation. I use the words interdependently, interchangeably, because when I mean mind, I don't mean something cerebral, and you could say psyche. It covers both, really. Psyche, heart. Psyche is a slightly kind of clinical attitude, heart, more emotional attitude. It's some, it's both of that, depending on how the word strikes you. Citta. Jitta that um, is a, uh, also programmed, and it programs in terms of perception and feeling. Mm. Generates perceptions. Perceptions are impressions. Good, bad, beautiful, ugly, tasty, familiar, safe, uh, friendly, dangerous, attractive, disgusting, stupid, what's this? Perceptions, they strike us. It's when something you see out there or hear out there enters you, enters your psyche. There's no way it can enter your chitta, your psyche, your heart, except as a perception. The heart, mind doesn't see anything, it doesn't hear anything, it doesn't taste anything. Hmm? It's not, it, what it tastes and sees and hears are translations of sense data. The process is so smooth and flawless, relatively speaking, that we take our perceptions to be the truth. That is uh, a beautiful person. That is a lovely flavor. That is sweet music. 
until you find out somebody else thinks that sweet music is a row and that lovely flavor is tastes bad and that beautiful person looks really crazy how come they don't fit hmm? so <coughs> perceptions and the perceptions the heart is designed programmed to form perceptions that give it its inner navigation and then when you get that sense of oh that is that that is a tasty looking thing or a pleasant thing or a dangerous thing then that signal goes to the mental to the verbal formation which names it yeah and then it goes to into what we're going to do about that thing so it triggers uh the way we grab things, the way things touch us, affect us, turns into, determines or conditions how we act. So therefore, the programming through the body, through the, through the heart, triggers action. Mm-hmm. Obviously enough. This is where karma comes in. So sankara links in and contributes and is the main feature of karma, action <coughs> with results, actions that have results. <coughs> if an action has stemmed from the heart, it has a result. That's the teachings on karma. Could be good results, could be bad results, could be mottled, or it could be Results that lead towards clarity and release, or the karma that leads to the end of karma. Actions that help just towards not defining an object, or having something, but actually clearing the programs. Actions, a program, rather like a, one of these cleaners you can get on your computer, that just cleans the disk. It's called liberation program (laughs) so that's the one we really want and this also arises in the heart so there's lots of programs in the heart but they all work fundamentally through perception we derive something an impression how's that it felt and then there's a response that is triggered from that go that way do this Incline like this, back off, move forward. That's the activity. That's the you know. So that if we change the metaphors, electricity, you've got voltage, which means the power with which you go forward, the actual thrust of it. You can have directions, which could be towards compassion or towards malice skillful or unskillful directions which is slightly different from the power the volitional push of it you know so you might have a subtle creeping malice <laughs> that drips along a few volts but it stays there kind of like 24 hours a day or something. <laughs> or you get sudden flaring malice that lasts for about you know 25 seconds and is gone so you have these karmic formations so these also are sankara. These stem from the heart. 
So the heart, first of all, is programmed to interpret experience immediately. Because immediately you want to know what's going on. Yeah, this is the fight-flight mechanism, isn't it? You want to, you can't figure out, is that a tiger? Do, what do tigers do? Is it nice tiger? How do I be with a tiger? You just, boop, tiger, boom, out. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not going to live to see another day and check it out. So you get these very strong perceptions, something you immediately recognize is threatening. It's going to jump into you. You're going to get a trigger happening. And what will happen with these, these responses is before they go into your thinking mind to try and tidy up the concept, it goes into your body and you run. And you do the figuring out what it was later. Because <laughs> you can't, you don't want to hang around for a thought to get it organized. Yeah? You don't want to hang around on a conceptual level with fight, flight. <laughs> how to kind of approach it, you want to do it. So the heart, kaya, the citta sankara, its primary activation, most immediate activation, is to the body. You see something frightening and your body tenses up, alerts, yeah, before you even think it. <coughs> And any of the sense doors can provide the material for the, the mind hovers behind the sense doors. Sights, sounds, thoughts. So the psyche hovers behind. Yeah, so we talk about uh, the, the thought really as like a, a sense door. Yeah. So the thought can enter the psyche. So slightly different. Yeah. The psyche or the citta is purely the perception, feeling, reactivity, not the conceiving. The conceiving is a, called the mano faculty, forms the concept. The concept itself is just the concept. You can write it down on paper, you can look at it. You could correct the spelling of it. You can throw it around. It's just a neutral, by itself it's neutral put it into the psyche and it becomes charged. It's only when it enters you that it becomes charged. Yeah? And then it carries its, the charge of what we perceive, what we experience with that, with typhoon or donut or uh, marmalade or coffee or whatever, you know. It repels you or enjoying whatever it does to you, you get it. And then there's a, a signal to the body most of these are pretty small signals. <coughs> so that, that's the mechanism, yeah, and then we react. And that's happening all the time. Some of these actions, karma, we may assume that's just physical action, but actually physical action is comparatively of a minor, well, no, it's quite, it has consequences, but we don't do as much physically as we do psychologically, I'm sure. Psychologically, we probably annihilate people all day long. <laughs> Thank goodness we don't physically act on it. You know. <laughs> so, or we annihilate, annihilate ourselves or something. You know, you can have these terrible um, programs uh, of, of, of violence. And it's very fundamentally part of the human experience is violence. 
from time immemorial. <coughs> Nurturing, another very fundamental human experience, our program to nurture and to cherish and to support. Otherwise we wouldn't be here. So both of these are about survival, aren't they? <coughs> anyway, these um, perceptions, so perceptions of the felt meanings of things, and as we and they they carry whatever you know a thought or a sight or a sound triggers a perception. You've got the floor; could strike you as rather pleasingly smooth and uncluttered and. Rather nice, solid thing. Hmm? If you were a woodworker, you'd probably think, yeah, they didn't mill it right. You know, what kind of pine is this? Yeah. If you're sitting in the meditation hall, you go, oh, nice space. If you're an architect, you might think, yeah, I don't know if the structure, the beams are strong enough to carry that weight. Yeah. If you're a designer, you might think, yeah, pretty good, pretty about the lighting. You know, they could have done more something with the roof. Yeah. So, <laughs> so perceptions are not just, uh, they are extremely varied and they also are programmed dependent on our conditioning. Mm-hmm. When a burglar looks at a house, he sees which windows he can get in through. Architect looks at a house, mm-hmm. sees the structures. Designer looks at a house, he looks at the, you know, the form. Uh, Realtor looks at a house, how much that's going to worth. worth. Purchaser looks at a house, there's a room for the kids, where can the dog play? Mm-hmm. All seeing the same thing, perceptually triggering different, in different ways. <coughs> now all of, we can see all of those perceptions have a validity. They're all true but none of them are completely true. They're all partial. They're all partial truths. But they feel real, because that's the one that strikes me. And I don't understand why you don't see it that way. (laughs) Because it it strikes me and it fills me and it floods me and I feel really intensely about this floor. The unbearable quality of it. <laughs> yeah, and people get like this about food and clothes and, and designs. And it, they feel it, really feel it. Yet perceptions are extremely uh, uh, partial. And yet when they, you feel them, they feel true and valid and they activate you. They activate you. Uh, uh, and most of our activity is psychological. We feel the tremble of resistance. We feel the tremble of reaching out. We feel the expansive of drawing something and enjoying it. We feel the tremble of do something about it. Sort it out, organize it, tidy it, fix it, change it. Grab it, buy it, make something out of it. We feel the tremble of that. And, you know, these activations are also conditioned. As I was saying yesterday, the other day, it's about the work activation. We live in an environment where work is a very real thing. 
It's a real experience. Everybody's conditioned to, we work, we work for a living. If we're not working, we're lazy or we're unemployed, it's a disaster, it's a problem. When they tried to bring the work ethic to Polynesia, it didn't work. People didn't understand what you're talking about. (laughs) You know, what's this eight o'clock in the morning stuff? (laughs) We might do it if we feel like it, but if we don't feel like it, we don't think we'll bother. They're not, they weren't into that sense of how we get conditioned into work becomes a judgment of ourself. I'm an efficient worker, I can do my work, I can pay my way, I'm an independent, hard-working, industrious, competent person, because I work. And if you're outside it, you think, well, why do you need to do all that to prove that you're okay? Uh, you, know, you want something to eat, just pull a fruit off a tree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, find other ways of establishing self-worth and... Um, Acceptance in the society, you know, through maybe your birth, or other means, or um, you know, you've got more beads or something. Different ways in which people find their worth, programmed, 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 programmed. Now you know you can do a cultural survey but just to recognize how much psychological activity is established almost involuntarily. You know, we, we kind of accept it and go along with it because it gets, you know, washed over you and time and time and time and time and time and time again and everybody else is doing it, so you get entrained into the same dance of that. Independence, prove your worth, do your duty, get things done okay, you're all right. And schooling and so forth, all that. So primarily, you know, the priority is um, livelihood rather than life. We learn how to make a living, we don't necessarily learn how to be alive, what it means to be alive, to enjoy, to feel, to breathe, to experience this rather wonderful thing of being a human being, its mysteries, its beauty, its givenness, we didn't have to pay the earth. When we landed here, birth didn't say, okay, you got, you got 80 years, you know, take out a loan, I want you to build, I want you to plant 300 acres for that. And free, there you go, get going. The air didn't cost anything. How much breathing are you going to do this lifetime? <laughs> Could you give me a rough estimate, you know? Could we do a deal here? No, it's free. Breathe as much as you like. <laughs> you don't deserve it. Bad people can breathe. Good people can be stupid. Everybody can breathe free. You know, what's this thing about? <laughs> Earth is pretty... Didn't get into that program. Just said, there it all is. You know, and think, gee, fancy just being able to land and have this gift. You know, and uh, you find anything you would eat, go ahead and eat it. That's fine. You don't have to pay the trees. <clears throat> so, of course, you know, uh, we wanted to got a bit, like a bit more than that, than what's given. We like to make sure we live for a good, you know, what is it, three score years and ten, whatever it is, 80, 90. So, 
hoard up a bit more than is just the free gift. So we produce things and so and so and so on. And yeah, you know, we benefit and there's a price we pay. The price you pay is you belong to a society and the society governs and it determines your programming. And you will work for the society and the society will, you know, pay you off in you know, some ways. And that's fine. And sometimes, you know, you start to see, hey, things are tipping out of balance. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, declare war on somebody else. <laughs> well, how come I got into that? For your society, your nation said it, that's what's going to happen. So, okay, that means it costs, you know, a few billion, which means you pay for it. Uh, and you, you work and you pay so that something, for your welfare, we're going to, you know, nuke somebody or blow, shoot somebody or whatever. And you kind of go along with it, really. So, this is the things that we're in, you know, the exteriors, and then the conditioning that comes back with that, the security, the compulsiveness, the uh, submission to a higher power that goes along. And this is called life livelihood. And we lose touch with nature we get socialized and we lose touch perhaps with nature which is our true uh, parent Mm. Mm. society is a kind of a a teacher there's some good some bad it's not really a true parent true parent is nature right and everything else gets layered on top of that condition and so, very often what we're doing is we keep psychologically adjusting in terms of the social program. Or where we social program could be the relational program, my family, my father, mother, that little mini society. I keep adjusting so I'm okay with them. I do what they feel okay with. It could be my town, my country, whatever, doing what's okay with, psychologically adjusting in terms of that. <coughs> programming and not all of it's that healthy and sometimes we don't even really get the message you think your parents wanted this you assume that because they were in a bad mood or having a rough day or something so you got programmed that way uh, and that stayed there because once activated that uh, and as you reactivate in certain tendencies and trends that activity becomes a form a formation, which means you are now programmed, that will be the default program that you'll run into. It becomes a groove. You'll run into that program because the universe is lazy. (laughs) Once an orbit is established, it doesn't want to change. Even electrons do this. Once they're in a particular thing, they don't want to have to shift unless something pushes them out. So similarly, once we get into a groove, then naturally the default inclination is to stay in it because you know it, you've formed around it, you've begun to know how you can play with it, how you can operate in that form, and it's much less risky and confusing and nebulous and iffy than going out into the unknown where you don't know what it is. <coughs> so we'll tend to form. This is what karma's about. Karma's much more than about, say, 
you know, do good, you get good, do bad, you get bad. But karma means whatever you do, good or bad, you become that. You get programmed into that. So if you're going to have a program, let's say you have a good one, <laughs> and that's good karma, you will, you'll, by default, you'll go that way. You'll go towards forgiveness or kindness or honesty. Uh, a good program. And you'll, you'll sort of default to that. You'll feel resistances, but you think, no, the honest thing is to do this, and you'll go that way, which is great, really. You, but it's a program. And then the bad program is lie, defend, uh, prevaricate, deny, and so forth. And, yeah. and we will do that as well, if that's the default. If that means that's what gets me accepted and safe and okay, then I'll do that. <laughs> you know? Isn't it even a, it's not a personal choice, it's the way the system goes. Yeah. If... Uh, if I've got some, you know, moods that are not acceptable to other people, then after a while, a bit of, you know, uh, feedback on that, then you'll kind of deny it's happening or suppress it or something of that nature. So that you, you, because your uh, powerful conditioning as a human being is you want to, you want to overcome the pain of separation by blending into the group, into the social norm, into the family, into the being accepted by others. You want to overcome the pain of birth, of being separate, by being okay and accepted. It's just too tough to just keep trying to do it all on your own. You want to find somebody who are going to support and be with you. And Depending on how that is, you know, we will tend to even, to be accepted, we will do strange things. You, know, you notice this for, in our youth, when we're teenagers, we do all kinds of crazy things, we part of the gang. You know, you know acts of delinquency, uh, drug abuse, so forth, so that I'm part of the club. You know, shave half my hair, hair off, do the other half purple. So that's what everybody else is doing. It's cool, do that, you know. And that's fairly harmless. But even doing violent things to prove that you're part of the, of the group. Because it's so important, you know, in forming ourselves, to form ourselves in relationship to others. It's instinctive. Humans are flock creatures. Part of the programming. A lot of our psychological activity is adjusting to what we sense is acceptable, the norm. Even if that adjustment means you are cramped with fear to do so. You are suppressing something in order to do so. You are pretending something in order to do so. You are putting up a front in order to do so. You are not listening clearly to your to your body to your heart clearly because you're it's more important to listen to the others the group whoever that is and the funny thing is that even when everybody's left the room the group stays with you in your head in your heart even when they've died they're still there as a pervasive influence saying didn't think that was so good 
and we call them God or whatever. <laughs> you know, they hover behind you. They become these inner tyrants. Look down. Not so good. You're always doing that kind of thing, aren't you? <laughs> I told you, not good enough. You should be more like that. <laughs> uh, so most of us carry an internal group. Sometimes just one or two voices that keep chiding us and urging us on. And we listen to it. But what we notice is this when these programs internalize, you never really placate it. It's internalized, that's, you can't placate it. If it was outside, you could possibly get them to change their mind. Once they're internalized, they become perceptual reality. That means that's established, that's a thumbprint, that's a standard. The complaining mind only knows about complaining. That's its, that's its job. Yeah. Once you've internalized it, it becomes more lethal, more dangerous, more defiling than external dictators who can have their laid back days and happy moments and you know, but the inner tyrant can't because it's purely created through the perception of not welcome not trusted not okay should be better we carry that message and it's established in terms whatever you do it's not okay could be better not good enough try harder this I'm talking very broadly, perhaps exaggerated, but you might get something like that. <coughs> this is perception. It may start with something external, yeah, and then you see that, you hear that, you hear the words, and you internalize it through perception. The perception is programmed, yeah. It's a programmed experience that establishes a particular internal reference. You see something in a pear. You know a pear is good to eat. Yeah. So you, oh, right. not, it's not a whatever else. It's a, it's a piece of fruit. I can eat it. Um, some perceptions are like that. You get perceptions, uh, extremely complex perceptions, social perceptions. Um, based upon what we feel uh, other people or society or God would like us to be, that we're not. And a lot of our psychological activity is bouncing up against these internal uh, parameters of what we should, could be, and finding, they're telling us, not quite good enough, try a little bit harder. <laughs> listening to it Chitta Sankara so we look at, look at it again Chitta Sankara is first of all it is programmed the heart psyche is programmed to establish perceptions perceptions have feeling pleasant unpleasant feeling to them The perception and feeling is called contact. Something is experienced as a touch. You see something, you get it. It touches you, it touches your heart. There's an activity, a recognition. 
oh, and then there's an immediate reactivity which could be, wait a minute, what's going on? And then there'd be a second reactivity, oh, it seems okay, I'll do this. Yesterday, a couple of days ago, I was walking on the road and uh, so I was crossing around, okay, oh, yeah. get to a road, you know, and you find out, oh, barely conscious, and you go, oh, walk on the left side of the road, face the oncoming traffic. So first I was just walking down the right side of the road, and, oh no, face the left side of the road, the left side of the road, face, uh, face the oncoming tra- traffic. Yeah. <laughs> it was quite, you know, it's a little bit not all there. So I'm walking down the road, hear the sound of a car. Mm. Instinctively, I'm walking down the left side of the road, hear the sound of a car, I pull in. Because sound of a car in Britain, walking the left side of the car's behind me. <laughs> yeah. Sound of a car, can't hear it, I'm walking the left side of the road, that's trouble. It's behind me. So, so instinctively the body kind of, you know, wait a minute, America, right? So there are cars coming towards, on the other side of the road you're safe, you know? It's coming up that way. It's coming behind you, it's coming up the right side of the road. And just that, noticing that, just how instinctive you get programmed into interpreting a sound. Sound means car, car, collision, accident, road, and so forth. All no thinking really requires it just immediately flashes into the body because that's a, a, a danger signal. Hmm. That's how it operates. This is the world of Sankara, how we're triggered, how we activate. And perceptions which are conditioned, they have some truth to them, but they're not absolutely true. But they act as the reference points for our most primary, instinctive, reflexive, compulsive, habitual actions, psychological actions. Yeah. Karma. And as you follow that, we become ourselves again and again and again. So that's how it keeps going. We become ourselves again and again and again, doing our bit again and again and again. So, you know, you take words like meditation, what does that do to you? Oh, serene, peaceful, quiet, still. Oh, backache, knees ache, enduring endless inner babble. (laughs) 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 Meditation retreat, oh, peace, quiet. Meditation retreat, bells, getting up early, and ringing bells, and this, that, this, that, this, that, routines. You know, perceptions. Concentration, oh, concentration, supposed to have it, haven't got it, supposed to have it, hope nobody notices I haven't got it. 
so sit still, don't move. That looks like concentration. Surely it's like that. Sit still. So everybody else is sitting still, so I'll sit still and concentrate. Yeah. Concentration. What is concentration? Sort of something that happens when I, a lot of effort, sort of furrow a little bit, put some will into that, hold it down, hold it still, hold it steady, focus in, tighten up. This is concentration. Okay. <laughs> and then you look in the suttas and it says, you know, the happiness and bliss. <laughs> concentration. <laughs> happiness and bliss. Okay, get that too. You've got effort, determination, focus, attention. Now happiness, bliss. <laughs> it's not happening, not happening. Something wrong with me. Something wrong, something wrong. You're not trying hard enough. Nothing wrong. You're stupid. Too much bad karma, substance abuse, careless youth, it's all things. <laughs> Something wrong with you. <laughs> Lack of resolve, flittering mind, bad habits, feeble, lack of willpower, you know, yada yada yada, something wrong with you. Oh, yeah. See, we <laughs> just noticing, you know, even a word like that and the, and the triggering that can occur around that. Do you think that's what the Buddha wanted? <laughs> think that's what the idea is? Send you into a kind of psychological tailspin? Think that's what it was about? So, you know, you, you, you realize just how, how uh, language, perception, and the psychologies that the perception are established in the heart can line up to create some rather unfortunate activations and effects. The activity of constantly striving to overcome, you know, to let go, to be other, to, you know, get past selfhood, to relinquish this and that and the other. And translate it, you know, we translate it into a working mind, a work ethic mind. Mm -hmm. A mind that's probably quite highly attuned to getting things wrong, getting things done, performance, uh, and rather ungracious, um, ungracious uh, holding of that holding of volition in a rather ungracious way. So we say, you know, the volition voluntary, voluntary volition, what feels right. Start from there rather than what you should do. Start from just tune, you know, allowing that what feels around right, what brings you a little bit more grounded, a little bit more simple, a little bit more steady, a little bit more easeful. Start with that. You know? Get it into your body. And as your body feels steady, more easeful, more comfortable. Allow yourself to wriggle a little bit. Change your position. And so on and so on and so on. So it's the the art of the volunteer. It's playing with it. Tweaking it. Asking it. Responding to it bringing forth the nourishing, 
the generous, the empathic, rather than the working, get it done, flat, unresponsive um, trends that we can establish. Mm. Yeah. In which we feel are the, often the, the, the trends that tend to have a lot of say in our society. Mm. This is law and order, it's not negotiable. This is the way we do it, it's not negotiable. This is the, this is the system, this is the function, it's not negotiable. These are, this is the law, the rules, the protocols, it's not negotiable. It's this. And nice and clear that way. Clear, but you can't talk to it. And it won't respond. You, you, you know, you can do that on an abstract level, in any kind of social situation, you can do that. I live in that. I live in all kinds of rules and training and protocols and do's and don'ts. It takes quite a while to actually soften it into, look, have a sense of respect and conscience and concern for what you're doing. You know, look in terms of renunciation and trustworthiness and honesty and reliability and celibacy and look into those things. Really tune up to that. And, you know, you work from that heart feeling. You're not saying, you're not just top-down moralizing do's and don'ts. You're trying to get it from the heart. Being prepared to make mistakes, getting it wrong, finding your way, learning to walk. So this is meditation, is a lot of it to me is most helpful when we have that, that allowance, that possibility to grow. We're looking at nature now. We're not looking at society, social programs, we're looking much more into net nature. This is our true parent. Nature does not really make mistakes. It just doesn't go in straight lines. But if you tap into nature, you may get some strange, you know, patterns, but they'll come through. It'll be healthy. It'll be surprising. You'll probably, your conditioned self will probably think, oh, I don't know this. But you feel, oh, I feel freer. Oh, I feel a bit more relaxed. Oh, oh, I feel rather joyful. <laughs> tuning into something more intrinsic and natural. <clears throat> so, okay, you know, let's get down to something a bit more specific. Say, breathing in and breathing out. <clears throat> Heavens, everybody's doing it all the time. Yeah, okay, it's... Uh, goes on when you sleep. <coughs> and it's not a metronome, it's not regular. It's long, short, hurried, slow. It meets obstacles. It's like a river, twisting, curving, blockages here and there. Mm. 
it's not a canal, it's not a straight line. As a concept, it, we, can, we can certainly, as a concept, breathing in and breathing out is pretty simple. Breathing in, breathing out, there it is, summed it up. Be mindful of that. There you go. Get on with it. <laughs> and if you can't do it, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> You're not trying hard enough. It's because of your youth, you're careless, you're lazy, distant substance abuse, too old, too young, too crazy, too, too read too many books, and so forth, something wrong with you. <laughs> so we have to kind of, you know, just look at what the, the you know pro, what happens when we see a series of words breathing in breathing out ever mi- ever mindful that's another killer ever mindful gee ever ever mindful So already we've we've come into a sort of state of slight alarm <laughs> and and obligation and pressure to to do the job properly. Yeah. And uh, you know, we've actually started to to take what is a natural process and we trans taking it at a kind of social level. Buddha says you should breathe in and breathe out mindfully. Buddha is good, therefore do it. <laughs> you know, you make Buddha into become some kind of boss <clears throat> or the teacher. Yeah, the program that goes on with that, we kind of obey, but somehow we also feel, a bit, you know, oppressed by it all. Now, because the body and the heart are related then what you feel in your heart translates into your body. The two go together. So when you feel the sense of obligation, pressure in your heart, in your psyche, it translates into your body and it begins to mess your breathing up. So it's a kind of one of those fulfilling experiences. Because you think you can't meditate, actually you can't meditate. <laughs> because of the thinking that you can't meditate, that affects you to the point when you, something in you freezes up and you, you, it becomes flat or flattened. It's not full, not complete. So we just really, you know, you want to start really come clearing, clearing the page, clearing the page of all the words, not because they're wrong, just because one has to recognize uh, even what, what words on a page do compared to spoken words, which have tonality and feeling and inflection to them. And what uh, the best kind of words, really, are the ones that you say. You know, carry your meaning, encourage and gladden you for your welfare. The best kind of ones are 
not what I say, but what you say about how do you know you're breathing? How does it feel to you? What's the perception that arises for you? Take out words like ever mindful and unwavering diligence and so forth. Just put them to side, one for a moment, come down to, it's just build it up slowly. What is breathing in and breathing out? There's a natural process. Start with nature rather than social conditioning, rather than human conditioning, rather than verbal conditioning. Start with body conditioning, how the body does its breathing, how it knows its breathing, how it knows when you can't even figure it, how it knows really that's the end of breathing in for now, and how it knows Now's the time, the moment to breathe out. And now it knows this is the end of breathing out. Not yet, not yet. Now is the time to breathe in. It knows that naturally. And it's marvelous. We listen into that, to that in the body. Now the signal for that to the heart is you can do this or your body can do this. Your body can do this and it feels good. It's quite simple. Your body can do it. It feels, feels like this. Has these effects. And you begin to, because of that, because of activating healthy Kaya Sankara. When I say activating, I don't mean you redo it, but you, you allow its potential to manifest. You clear away the obstacles. When you potentize health by itself, as you potentize and enjoy and dwell in that, you begin almost instinctively and naturally to unplug the defective programs. You do you don't do what you don't need to do. Once you feel the health, you feel the strength, you feel the beauty, you feel the effects, that you, something in you starts to unplug the defective programming. I'm not saying it's always defective, but right now it's defective. We don't need that now. You unplug that. You unplug the work ethic, got to get there. We unplug the self-determination that determines us as being this. We unplug it. You don't need to be somebody who's doing it. You don't need to be someone who's good at it. You don't need to be someone who's learning something out of it. So you unplug what you don't need because Enjoyment is enough. <clears throat> Stability, enjoyment is enough for concentration because that which you enjoy, that which you stabilize by, naturally your attention gathers around that. And the sequences through that careful 
attuning to, to what is really natural. There is the experience of the body begins to relax, feel coming out of its uh, stressing and tensions, fear and uh, so forth. It comes to come out of that. There is a happiness of relief. And as the Buddha says, I tell you, there is no need to make a further intention may my mind concentrate. It is in accord with nature that the happy mind is concentrated. There is no need to make a further intention, action, deliberation, sankhara, may my mind concentrate. I tell you this, the mind, when it is happy, is concentrated. That's what we call it. They translate that concept, that word, from the something that your head does to something that your body does and your heart picks up. Yeah. Translating a word like meditation or concentration from what your head does, extremely socialized program structure, the head, the verbal conditioner, and how that dominates our heart, translating what the body does, and then the heart receiving the happiness born of detachment, born of letting go, born of unplugging. So as I tell you, this is the abiding of the noble ones, unplugged natural. Yeah, so, yeah, there is, there is intentionality, there is a certain volition, there's a certain inclination, there is activations, but what primarily I'm suggesting we begin to, to tune into is you understand, you get some sense of the map understanding programming and we're looking towards you know nature as our parent nature as our guide so one of the ways in which the word dhamma is translated is nature dhammata is in accord with nature truth reality the natural order of things tuning into that hmm. with a sense of you know, now we're we're young again Tell me, how is nature? Let me listen. What is natural? Hmm? Nature is that which accepts everything. Society doesn't. That's just going to be our wisest uh, parent and guide. <clears throat> and nature is right here in our bodies. They're not fundamentally separate from nature. You can't draw a line between the earth element of the body, the physicality, the life forces, and so forth. It's all there. It's just the one of the outcrops of this amazing nature experience. 
social social creature is divorced from nature. Hmm? I mean, coming back into that. Now this inclination is a sankhara, it's a program. We keep remembering, skillful program, and it's the programming to clean the defective or irrelevant programs that we may find ourselves constrained by and pushed by and somewhat betrayed by. Didn't make me happy, didn't make me safe didn't make me comfortable. <laughs> Instead of the default mechanism, well, because there's something wrong with you. No, it's nothing wrong with you. It's just the, the, pro- it's the wrong program. <coughs> as I was suggesting, as I'm suggesting because of this, uh, the power of this programming experience, it does affect our bodies. Our bodies get... Uh, uh, patterned uh, energetically yeah, and that energy energetic patterning starts to begin to even form the tissues of the body just uh, you know how we walk we walk as social creatures not as natural creatures you see the way a cat walks it's running, walking, slowing, it's flowing. You see social creatures, human creatures, they, they're like heads on wheels. <laughs> <laughs> the straight line is the best way to go. And so we tend to walk in that eye, eye-centered walking, the, the, driven by our eyes towards the point in the future. So the ears, the listening, the attention, the here and now, the body. The body is left out of its own walking. That's the amazing thing. You can get that powerful, the conditioning. The body is left out of its own walking, just like it's left out of its own breathing. So you're trying to think, what happens if you're walking, you weren't aiming to go anywhere. You didn't have to follow a particular route of some kind or another. You didn't have to go on a road or a pathway, you're just walking, feeling your body walking, how would that be? Feeling the muscles in your legs, the hips, the back, the shoulders, how the whole thing flows together. The fundamental body experiences coherence, how when you walk, your shoulders flow, relax, your face softens, it's beautiful, it's like swimming. So beautiful to walk amazing gift and yet we turn into heads on wheels so really to come to nature first of all and then we see what forms out of that what uh, how we tune into that how we uh, Fashion that wisely, skillfully.
and we'll look at some of this in the course of the week. But I think this probably gives some suggestions for today. Because we have a reasonably long period, and again, you know, the time boundary really helps when you don't have to, you know, scurry out again at the end of the week. Feeling giving yourself that time. You know, time is another strong social program, social conditioning. Don't waste your time. Uh, but really, don't waste your time following defective programs like time. <laughs> don't waste your time being in a hurry. Okay, so now it's time to do as you see fit. And if you want to do some standing, walking, really explore body as a natural experience. And maybe some of it feels very much pressurized or affected. Come to the places that feel most healthy, like your feet, your hands, where you feel the breath becomes natural. Maybe it's not all there, but some part of it. Find your healthy, natural place, deepen into it, enjoy that, and see if you can get that signal. Hmm? If you get the signal, the perceptual signal of, hey, this happens by itself, it's natural, it's enjoyable, uh, then that signal, because the body is connected, that signal can then travel to other parts. getting the message, the right perceptual signal, rather than the defective one. So, please uh, do as you see fit.